Okay. Now, I've been sharing, I started out just to preach a one-time message, but I can't get away from this subject. I just can't get away from it. And so I want to talk to you today about the race that we're in. And I'm just calling this, don't faint in the race. Don't faint in the race. I'm going to read one simple verse. We're going to put it up here. What a powerful verse. This is one of my life verses. And I want it, since it's so short, why don't we all read it together and, and give you a chance to preach. Okay? So let's read it. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we faint not or don't lose heart. Another version says if you faint not. This one, if you don't lose heart. It's the same thing. All right, Father, we thank you that you are the one who helps us to run to win. And I pray that today, Lord, you will help us to do so. Speak to our hearts the word of God. Can you breathe a prayer, church, and say, Lord, I open my heart to the seed of the word. Change me today in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, don't faint. You can be seated. Don't faint. Now, and thank you, praise team. That was a wonderful, wonderful time of praise. I really liked that, enjoyed that. Very moving. Now, last time I talked about the necessity of enduring in the race we're in. This is a race of endurance. Now, let me just give you a little information real quickly. Here, here it is, that when you got saved, two things happened to you. One, you got drafted into a war. You may not know it, but you did. You got drafted into a spiritual war, and it's very intense. It's very real. We battle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, spiritual wickedness in heavenly places, and rulers of the darkness of this world. So we're in a war. We got drafted when we got saved. The second thing, we, were, we got put into a race. We were placed in a race. Drafted into a war, placed in a race. The racetrack is that narrow road that leads to life that Jesus talked about. Wide is the road that leads to destruction and many there be that go in thereat. But narrow is the road that leads to life and few there be that find it. It's that narrow, constricted road that we're called to run in. That's the racetrack. And Jesus said, even though it's narrow and constricted, lo and behold, it leads to life. So though it's narrow and constricted, it leads to life. So we got drafted into a war and placed into a race. And that's why the Hebrews, uh, writer of the Hebrews said in Hebrews 12 too, he said, so therefore let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. God is the one that set it before us. He's the one that gave us that racetrack. And Jesus was the first runner. He was the forerunner. He was the one that ran the race first and he ran it perfectly without error. And when Jesus died on the cross and rose again from the dead, you know what he did? He handed all of his children the baton. So he ran around the race, and then he handed us the baton and said, Now, run the race that is set before you. Run the race that I ran. It's against the world, the flesh, and the devil. You're going to be running upstream, swimming upstream the whole time. But I'm going to grace you to make it. You're only going to get stronger, and all the trials are only going to work for your good. So run that race 
and run it to win. We are to run to win. This is not a casual stroll in the park. It is a race. It is, a, it is not a 100-yard dash. It's a marathon. It's a long-haul, lifelong race. The only time our race stops is when we die and we go to heaven or Jesus comes again and takes us there. But until then, we're in a war and we're in a race. And there's not a person in here who, who loves Jesus who is not in both. So every day you're going to fight and every day you're going to run. Run that race. Fight that battle. Now, to succeed in breaking the finish tape, to make it to the end, sometimes, church, we're going to have to bow our heads and lean into the wind, steal our resolve, and forge ahead, particularly, listen, particularly in times of adversity, weariness, or discouragement, which might happen to you about once a year. Now, we're to run, stay with it, don't get off the track, don't give up, don't pick pick up our marbles and go home, when results may be few. Even then, we should persevere still. That's when we should persevere the most. Trying times are the worst times to quit trying. Knowing the whole time that our labor is not in vain in the Lord. So Paul tells the Galatians, he says, be not weary in well-doing. I love this one reading. It says it this way. In fair doing, let us not show faint heart. In fair doing, don't show faint heart. Stay in that race. Keep fighting, keep running, keep running, keep fighting. The good fight and the good race. Now, this verse, this little brief verse is so powerful, I love it. Everybody, every believer ought to memorize it because every believer is going to need it. But it's really comprised of three parts. And let me tell you what the parts are. First, there is an exhortation. And if you've got something to write with, I would write this down. You're going to need it by tomorrow morning in rush hour traffic. <laughs> so here it is. There is first an exhortation. The exhortation is, let us not grow weary in doing good Another version say well-doing. But let us not grow weary in well-doing or doing good. That's the exhortation. Then there's a promise. The promise is in due season. You shall, not maybe, not might, not perhaps so, not hope so, you shall reap. You shall reap. Everybody say I shall. I like I shalls. I like guarantees. And this is a guarantee. This is a guarantee. That I will reap. And then there's a condition. And anytime you see an if in a promise from God, it's called a conditional promise. That means something uh, depends on us for that promise to come to pass. So here's the condition to this promise. If you don't faint. So here's the guarantee. Don't grow weary in well-doing for it's a guarantee. You will reap. And here's the condition. If you faint not. You're going to be there to reap a harvest if you don't give up before the harvest comes. Don't walk out of the race. Don't get out of it. Don't stop fighting. Don't stay home. Don't get out of the Bible. Don't get out of prayer when you're just about to receive your harvest. Because you need to be there to receive it. Now, I want to deal with these things, these three things one at a time. The exhortation, the promise, and the condition. So here's the exhortation. Let us not grow weary in doing 
good. Can we say that together? Let's not grow weary. In doing good. Now this verse really implies a person who is really excited about the things of God. They have been gloriously saved. And, and we know that for a fact because this is to the Galatians. And the Galatians, when Paul led them to Christ, man, they were excited about the things of God. They were running the race. Now later, Paul is going to tell them, you were running well. What happened to you? But right now, they're excited. Having been forgiven, having, having been saved, they have dived first, head first into the work of the Lord. They have dived head first. They're excited, so they're doing good. They are doing good. Let us not be weary in doing good. They're doing good everywhere they go. They're filled with zeal. They're excited about the Lord. They're enthusiastic about the things of God, just like you when you first got saved, and I hope you still are. It describes me when I first got saved, and I like to think it still describes me. They were filled with zeal, excited about the Lord, enthusiastic about the things of God. They were witnessing to everything that moved, and if it wasn't moving, they witnessed anyway. They ran everywhere, witnessing about Jesus, spreading good cheer in his name. They were all about doing good. Now, you know, when I say that, when I read that little phrase, doing good, I also am reminded that that's exactly what was said about Jesus. Exactly what was said about the, the Savior who lives in your heart. It was said about Jesus. He went about everywhere doing good. Listen to this. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went around doing good. And healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. So doing good characterized the life of Jesus. Now, since he lives in us, shouldn't we be chips off the old block? Because Jesus, he's, what, what, what did Jesus do today? Well, he went about everywhere doing good. Well, what was the good that he did? He found people that were oppressed. He found people that were possessed. He found people that were down. He found people that were out. He found people that were discouraged. He found people that were sick. And he went about everywhere doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. That's what he was all about. Now, some people, and you know some, and you used to be one, and so did I, who went about everywhere doing bad, everywhere doing wrong, everywhere causing trouble. But then we met a Savior who always went about everywhere doing good. And his spirit was put into our heart, and now it ought to characterize every believer in Jesus Christ that part of, part of our life is we go about doing good. We like finding people who have needs and meeting them in the name of Jesus. You know, David wrote in Psalms 37, verse 3, he said, trust in the Lord and do good. Ephesians 2, verse 10 Going by memory there, I think I'm right. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. And here's the, the, here's the real kicker, that God ordained that we would walk in before the worlds were created. God saw us involved in good works he ordained that we would walk in good works and we would go around doing good just like Jesus did before the earth was even created. He saw you. He knew you. He knew your face. He knew your name. He knew your DNA. He knew your genetic code. He saw you. He knew you. 
And he said, I ordain that David, I ordain that Judy, I ordain that Jeff would be doing these good works in the name of the Lord. Now, let me just tell you this. Good works don't save you, but good works show you're saved. Good works don't save you, but good works testify you've met a Savior who did good. You might ask, now, Jeff, explain to me, what is doing good? Give me, give me some examples. What does it mean, doing good? Because I'd like to do it if I knew what good was. Well, the Bible answers that. Even in the book of Galatians, where we got Galatians 6, 9, Galatians tells us all kinds of things that are doing good. Let me give you some. Sowing to the Spirit instead of to the flesh is doing good. Restoring a fallen brother or sister, Galatians 6, 1, is doing good. Bearing one another's burdens is doing good. Producing the fruit of the Spirit by walking with Jesus is also doing good. Jesus gave us many things. Telling others about him, that's doing good. How about this? Visiting the imprisoned, praying for the sick, feeding the hungry, encouraging the weak, helping those who can't help themselves. All in the name of Jesus is doing good. You want to know how to get out of depression? Go find somebody that has a need and meet it. Get your eyes on somebody else. Because it's not all about you. It's all about him. And depressed people tend to think it's all about me. But it's not all about you. And one of the most therapeutic things you can do is go do good. I mean, it is life. I'm doing good right now, and I love it. It's like an, in- an injection of, in- of adrenaline for me. I mean, this is the gravy of ministry. The hard part is Monday through Friday. This is the gravy. And right now, I'm doing good. I'm sharing the Word of God with you. And I always leave floating after I've preached because I know that I've done good and you receive good and that's going to motivate you to go give away what you got. So we're to go do good. But now watch this. In all this doing good, Paul gives a warning. He said there's a danger in doing all this good. Here's the danger. Don't become weary. Watch out for weariness. Be wary of weary. Be wary of weary. Now, you're probably thinking like what I did when I first read this a long time ago. Well, of course I'm going to get weary doing the work of the Lord. I get weary all the time doing the work of the Lord, as in tired, as in I need to rest, I need to kick back and take... Even Jesus said to the disciples, come apart to a desert place for a little while and rest. Come apart and rest or you're going to come apart. But that is not what the word weary means in this verse. It doesn't mean just getting a little rest, catching a little sleep. Weary is from a Greek word meaning to lose heart or to faint within. It means you get a bad case of the quits. Weary means to lose heart. You have no more heart for doing good. Something has happened along the way. Remember, Paul said to the Galatians, you did run well. And then he said, what what has happened to you? You ran the race well. What has derailed you? What's gotten you off track? What has happened to you? You were running well, Galatians. Actually, he put it this way. Who has bewitched you? Who has bewitched you that you don't run well anymore? That you're not running like you used to? What's happened to you? I wonder how many of us could say that to ourselves. When you first got saved, you were running well. I've seen a lot of people start well, start strong. I mean, they are running well. And then something happens along the way. 
something that, that caused them to lose heart. Discouragement, disillusionment, getting jaded, getting cynical. Something comes into their life and they get tired, but not tired as in a little sleep, but they get weary, the word used in Galatians 6, 9, and they lose heart. They're no longer into it. The Bible warns. Jesus said, for instance, men ought always to pray and not faint. Same word. You should pray, but never lose heart in your praying. Paul had a glorious testimony of the church. Paul said to the church, therefore, seeing we have this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. He said, we're not fainters. We're not burned out. We burn on. Even though I I have been stoned, I have been whipped, I have been persecuted, I've been lied about, I've been vilified, I've been demonized, I've been cast out, I've been rejected, I have no friends, I'm lonely, I've been lost at sea, lost in the ocean waters. He said all these things have happened and even in the midst of all of that, I have not lost heart. I'm burning on. He said again, 2 Corinthians 4.16, therefore, we don't faint. But though the outer man is decaying, our inner man is renewed day by day. So he said, I've got a, I've got a secret. I'm going to share with you that secret in this message. He said, I've got a secret for how to keep on keeping on genuinely in my spirit man, where my spirit man, my soul doesn't faint. I don't lose heart. I don't check out. I don't say I've had all this fun I can stand. See you later. I stay in the race and I stay in the fight. And I'm going to go all the way to the end. That's why Paul could say at the end, I fought the good fight. I finished my race and I kept the faith and I didn't faint. The weary person that Paul is talking about in Galatians 6, 9 is one who has been fully engaged in the work of the Lord and all of a sudden they have no heart for it. They become weak. They become tired, they become discouraged, and they're tempted to quit. They've lost their endurance, they've lost their perseverance, they've lost their enthusiasm for the Lord's work. I had a lady come up to me some time ago, and she said something to me that I think she thought was a backhanded criticism. But for me, it became this this huge compliment. She said to me, and she she had been in my ministry years before. She said to me, Jeff Wickwire, she's shaking her head like this, Jeff Wickwire, (sighs) Still doing the same old thing, talking about preaching, ministering. And at first I went, huh? And I realized she meant that as a criticism. Like, haven't you found something else to do yet? You're still doing the same thing you were before. And then I thought, thank you. You didn't mean it this way, but it's a compliment for me. Because, yes, I'm still doing the same old thing. I'm still preaching. I'm still teaching. I'm still ministering. And I hope... I hope to be doing that 10 years from now, 20 years from now. I started when I was 18, and I want to fight a good fight. I want to finish my race, and I want to keep the faith, and I want to be doing the same old thing. I like this old thing. I wish that I could say over all of you, 20 years from now, tis, tis, you're still doing the same old thing, still going to church, still reading your Bible, still praying, still talking about Jesus. <laughs> I don't know where she is right now, but I don't think it's any place good. (laughs) 
But see, I haven't burned out. Oh, could I have? Oh, yes. Do I fight it sometimes? You better believe it. But I have a key. I have a secret. I'm going to tell it to you. Hebrews describes this fainting spirit metaphorically this way. Tired hands and shaky feet. Hebrews 12, 12. You know what it looks like? This weariness I'm talking about that Paul talked about? Sulking shoulders, drooping countenance, dragging feet, listless gait. This is the weariness that Paul warns against. You walk into church like this, you better preach me up, brother. I'm down. I want to give you a key where you walk in with your head held high, and you've already had a great week in Jesus, and you're just going to add to it here. So let's talk about these three things. First, uh, first one we've already mentioned. Don't grow weary. Don't faint. Don't give up. But look what he says. What has brought them to this place of weariness? Because he tells us in the same verse, what did this to them? Here's what he said. For in due season, you will reap. In due season, you will reap. He said, well, Jeff, how does that explain to us what got them weary? Ah, it's all about timing. It's all about timing. In due season. He was talking to the Galatians who had, not, had quit running their race well. You did run well. What's happened to you? Who has bewitched you? Apparently, they were struggling with a timing issue because that's what he talked about in the middle of the verse. The due season. He's talking about timing. They were dealing with their timetable versus God's timetable. They were fainting within. Watch this because some of you are right here. They were fainting within because the results they were expecting weren't happening when they thought they would and when they thought they should. It was a timing issue. Their season, their timing had not been God's timing. You ever experienced that yourself? How many of you are there right now? You think Abraham wasn't there? Hey, Lord, I'm 100. Have you looked at the wife lately? She's 90. And you promised us a child, and I don't get it. Because, see, whenever we get a promise from God, here's what we do. We're not aware that we do it, but we do it. We have inside of ourselves a calendar, a a, a time clock, a timer. And we get this promise from God, and we immediately think, well, it's going to take place within this amount of time. By the time this much time goes by, I'm going to have it. And we don't know. It's a subconscious thing. But it happens every time. So God says, I'm going to do this with you, that with you. You're going to have this ministry, that ministry. Or you're going to have to meet this person or that person or this business or this kind of raise. or the, Something God promises and we immediately attach a timer to it. It's in the back of our minds. Abraham did. We know that he did. Because even when he was in his 70s, he looked at his watch and checked it out. And Sarah said, look, this ain't happening. Why don't you go and marry my handmaid, Hagar, And let's get a child some way because this is not happening. What was she saying? My timer has started buzzing and nothing's happening. So I'm going to take matters into my own hands. And that's what got them into all their trouble and rocks our world today. (laughs) I love it that it said Abraham and Sarah both laughed when God said, hey, I'm going to give you a child in your old age. (laughs) Oh. God said, you laughed. Sarah said, I didn't laugh. (laughs) And God, I love what God said. He said, ah, but you did laugh. 
It was the laugh of incredulity. It was the laugh of unbelief. It's like, how can this be? And God said, it's going to be. It's going to be. It's just not on your timetable. It's going to be on my timetable so that nobody can get the credit but me. You're not going to be able to say, look what I did. Look what we did. Look how we persevered. We made. No, it's going to be something on my timetable. When my timetable comes to pass, only God can get the glory for what he does. It's on my timetable. See, but, but failed expectations were rocking the Galatians world. Failed expectations. Failed expectations happen when what we're expecting doesn't come the way we thought it would and when we thought it should. And God's timetable conflicts with ours. So we have failed expectations. So they became discouraged with doing good and getting disappointing results. And their souls were fainting because they weren't getting the results they thought they would see. So here's what Paul's saying to them. He's saying, hang on, your harvest is coming in due season. Trust God's timing. Because in due season, you will reap. Can we say that together in due season? Make I, put I to it. I will reap. Not might, not maybe, not perhaps. I will. Give the Lord a hand of praise. Isn't that right? Yes. I will. Now, here's what they needed to understand, and so do we. Listen carefully to this. This is good. God has a due season. God has a due season for every seed we plant while we go about doing good. Because every good thing we do in the name of Jesus is a seed in the ground. And isn't it funny how some seeds come up quicker? Watch this now. His timetable, when that seed goes into the ground, almost never is our timetable. He has a timetable. He has a timer attached to every seed planted. And ours is to keep on sowing. His is to cause that seed to grow. The Bible says one plants and other waters, but only God can give the increase. Only God can make it come up. Now, here's the deal. Sometimes the due season means a quick return on what you've sown. Lo and behold, you pray for it, and all of a sudden, there it is, and you get it pretty quickly. He said, all right, that's the kind of answer prayer I like. I'm a microwave kind of believer. I like it when God jumps when I pray. I love that. I don't have to wait because I don't like waiting. I'm not in some love affair with waiting. I'm sure not. So sometimes the due season means a quick return. But sometimes it means a process or a slower return that may take years. It may even take a lifetime. One day, the great 19th century man of faith, George Mueller, began praying for five of his lost friends. George Mueller is known for being a great prayer. And he he began to pray for five lost friends. Now, here's the record. He wrote this down in his own biography. After many months, one of them came to the Lord. There was a quick return. After just a few months, one of them came to the Lord. Ten years later, two others were converted. How many of us would have fainted in ten years' time? Because, see, the test comes between the sowing and the reaping, the promise and the provision. Between the promise and the provision, the sowing and the reaping, there's always a lag time. There's always a time when your faith is tested. Where is that seed? Didn't I plant that seed? Where did it go? You dig at the ground back up and look in there and see if the seed's still down there. 
I've done that with real seeds. Didn't I plant that thing? What's going on with you? Are you still there? And you, you dig it all up, and there's this little bitty sprout coming out of that seed. I should have left it alone. So 10 years later, two others were converted. It took 25 years for the fourth one to be converted. I know you're wondering what happened to number five. Here it is. Mueller preserved in prayer, persevered in prayer for 52 years. 52 years. And after 52 years, he died. But at his funeral, number five was there. And number five heard the funeral and what was said about his friend George Mueller at the funeral. And a few days later, he gave his heart to Christ based on what was said at his friend's funeral. So 52 years later, the prayer was answered. Now, let me give you another illustration. In my backyard, I have roses and I have an oak tree. When we got our house 23 years ago, we're still in the same house. We don't like moving. (laughs) Somebody came and they planted this little teeny oak tree in my backyard. And I remember being told, that's an oak tree. And I said, I don't believe that's an oak tree. I said, that's an oak tree. And, And it was puny, scrawny. It didn't look promising at all. No birds were in it. It didn't give any shade. It was just this little stick in the ground. But you know what? 23 years later, this thing is this humongous tree. I mean, it's full of hundreds of squirrels, God help us. All kinds of birds. I'm having to call somebody this week to come and cut some of it away because it's so big. But you know what? It took 23 years. But I got roses in my backyard too. I planted those things. In a few weeks, bloop, there they were. Guess what? Sometimes your prayer is a rose. Sometimes your prayer is an oak tree. And see, what we do is we expect the oak tree to behave like the rose. And when the oak doesn't behave like the rose, then we say, well, God failed me. It's not working for me. Forget this prayer stuff. I'm going off on my own. And we go to a Hagar and we hatch an Ishmael. Some of you got an oak in the ground and you're all discouraged. Hey, just hang on. So why is it taking so long? Because the oak has so much more potential. It's so much bigger, greater, stronger, wider, deeper. Some of you got a rose vision and some of you have an oak vision. But here's the promise. In due season, you will reap. But every one of those seeds have a timer. And we have to know that. I don't know where you're at in your life, but rather than becoming discouraged and faint-hearted over failed expectations, we ought to place our trust in two things. Listen carefully. Two facts. First one, your labor is never in vain in the Lord. It's never in vain in the Lord. I I bought a great jacket years and years ago. I've never been able to find one that I liked as much. I'm talking over 20 years ago. I still wear this thing. It's faded, it looks terrible, but I can't give it up because it just fits right. You know what I'm talking about? It's me. But I said, we just got to find the duplicate. We looked and looked and looked. We searched the internet. And if you searched the internet and come up with nothing, you searched in vain. (laughs) I searched in vain and didn't find it. You know why? Because they don't make the thing anymore. I thought about calling the former maker and saying, hey, what would it take for you to make just one more for me? But I searched, watch this, I searched in vain. In other words, I searched and came up with nothing. So it was in vain. Kathy and I were looking for a restaurant the other night. And 
the restaurant we were looking at, we came up to this empty, shut-down building. And we said, wow, we came all this way. Say it for me. In vain. Because we searched but came up with nothing. But here's the promise of God. You will never sow in kingdom seed and come up with nothing. It's not going to happen. It's either a rose seed or it's an oak seed, but whichever, in God's timing, it's going to come up. Now, I'm always talking to you about words. I got to tell you about this one little word, three-letter word, do, in due season. That's his adjective for the seed. He said, the season is due. It's a due season. That's how he described it. So what does due mean? I couldn't believe this. It uniquely, it means uniquely one's own, peculiar to the individual. The timing specifically designed for you and just for you. You've got a due season coming that I'm not going to have any. It's not going to be mine. I've got some due seasons coming that aren't yours. But see, as we sow into the good ground, the kingdom of God, keep on sowing, keep on sowing, keep on sowing, and don't get discouraged between promise and provision. Then he says, you are going to have an individual exclusively custom made for you. A harvest. And it's in the oven in heaven cooking right now. And it's yours. It's not somebody else. It's yours. Because we all reap. And we all sow. And we all are the result of what we have sown in the past. And whatever you want in your life tomorrow, sow it today. So in your season, your due season, the season and timing God has ordained uniquely for you, you are going to reap your harvest. So we have an exhortation, be not weary in well-doing. We've got a promise. In due season, you're going to reap. Let me finish with this, the condition. If you don't faint, that's a condition. That means here's what rides on me. If I don't faint... So if my reaping my harvest hinges on my not fainting so that I'm there when the harvest comes and somebody else is not there to get the harvest I sowed, if I'm there to get it, then i got to learn how to not faint. And I'm going to tell you how to not do it. Now, I wish I could tell you something profound where you would walk out here going, wow, that was really deep. <laughs> but it's not. It's simple. It's so simple, and you're all going to know this verse. It's Isaiah 40, verse 31. As a matter of fact, let's read it together. There it is. Read it with me out loud. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. What's the last word? Faint. So there we go. There's that word. Be not weary in well-doing, for in due season you will reap if you faint not. And then right there in that verse, they told us how not to faint. They that wait upon the Lord shall experience renewal, shall experience renewal, will soar like eagles, will run fast and walk far without fainting. That's the promise. I want you to picture somebody with me. Here's somebody standing at a bus stop. They're at a bus stop, and here's how they're standing there. Where are they? Somebody's next to you and you say, they're always late. I'm so sick of waiting for these dumb buses. It may not even come. They're impatient. 
they're angry, they're agitated, they're put out. You know what that is? That's the opposite of the way faith waits on God. You want to know how faith waits on God? It waits expectantly. It waits, waits filled with hope. It waits brimming with anticipation. Faith waits serenely, trusting the God of the promises and the promises of God. It is not moved by circumstances, rattled by setbacks, or discouraged by timing. Faith is never shaken. And when what you're believing for arrives, faith is not surprised. No wonder David so often wrote in his psalms. I love these psalms. Wait for the Lord. Keep his way. And he will exalt you to inherit the land. The Hebrew is not just wait on the Lord, but wait in faith on the Lord to act. Notice in this next psalm the connection between waiting in faith on the Lord and trusting in his timing and being delivered from a fainting heart. Listen to this. David said, real honestly, thank you for your honesty, David. He said, I would have fainted. I would have fainted, lost heart, unless I had believed I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait in faith on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord in faith for him to act. I love that verse. (laughs) I love it. Notice what he says. I I would have dropped. I would have fainted. I would have given up. I would have walked away unless I believed something, that I was going to see God's goodness in the land of the living. He's not going to fail me. He's not going to forsake me. I know if I sow, I'm going to reap. He's not going to walk away from me. He's not going to betray me. He's not going to leave me high and dry. But I know, I believe I'm going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. No wonder he wrote in another psalm. He said, why are you disquieted, O my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. Wait on him. Now, the Bible promises, and I want to close with this, that if we wait on the Lord in faith, abiding in him and his word daily, something miraculous happens in every one of you. Here's what happens. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. It was believed by the ancients, and it's believed by many now, that even old eagles molt. Now, molt means they shed their old, ragged, worn feathers and grow new ones, and they do it every year. Even an old eagle has been around a long time. Every year he will shed those old, worn-out, ragged, torn feathers, and he will spring new ones. And when he springs these new ones, it empowers the eagle to grab the winds that might have taken him down with the old feathers, and instead he rides and rises high into the heights with these new feathers, and he conquers the wind that might have destroyed him otherwise. And here's what God is saying. He said, He said, abide in me. He's saying, if we go forth in our own strength, we will faint and we will utterly fall. But if, 
as we wait on our day of harvest, we abide daily in Jesus and in his word, we will literally grow fresh faith, fresh strength, fresh hope, fresh vision, fresh fire, fresh. Listen, he says, so much so that even the young men are going to faint and grow weary, but not you older folks. You will run and not be weary, and you will walk and not faint. I've been preaching for many, many years. I hope I'm doing it when I'm 80 years old. When I'm 80 years old, God giving me strength, I hope to be up here. Just like that. Still doing the same old thing. So some of you... Some of you younger people, you came walking in here today all torn down. But I know some of you older ones, you came in just like this. So let's stand together, can we? I want you to say with me, don't faint. Keep on sowing. I love Ecclesiastes. He says, sow your seed in the morning of your life. And don't be idle in the evening of your life. Keep on sowing. Then say with me, leave your harvest. Timing with God. If we will just abide in the Lord and his word abide in us, trust his timing. Wait on the Lord in faith to act. We will break that finish tape at the end because we will stay strong each and every day and we won't burn out. We will burn on. Can we bow in prayer? with every head bowed, and please, no movement at all, unless it's up this way in just a moment. Pray, because people are in a time of decision-making right now. Some of you have walked in here today. Truth be known, you've gotten off the track. You're off that track. You've dropped the baton, and one way or another, you, you got off. And you know that you're here today so that you can hear a, an invitation calling you back home. Can I tell you, the porch light is still on in God's house and he wants you to come home. Well, Jeff, isn't it too late? No, you're here, so it's not too late. Say, Jesus, I want to get back in the race. I want to pick up that baton I dropped and I want to run the race set before me and I want to finish strong. What a great moment to do it. What a great time to do it. You have today. With our heads bowed, nobody's looking. Nobody's looking at anyone else. You say, Jeff, that's me. And I want to get back in that race. I want to grab that baton and I want to run again. I want to see your hands. Would you just raise your hand where you are? God bless you. You, many, many. Now, in a minute, I'm going to ask you to come down here and let me pray with you. You might be saying, well, why would I need to go down? Why do I have to do that? Because Jesus walked up Golgotha's hill bleeding and naked for you. And it's, a, it's an act of faith. It, it establishes your decision. Besides, no one's looking. So in a moment, I'm going to call you down. But if you're here today and you say, Jeff, I don't know. I've got a question mark in the back of my mind. It haunts me sometimes whether or not I've ever really, really personally been saved. 
Jesus coming into my heart. Why would you leave the building this day without settling that? Don't. You can settle it today. Take the question mark away and replace it with an exclamation point. I encourage you, let the Lord show you his love and put you on the most important road of your life, the racetrack. If you say, Jeff, that's me, there is a question mark. Would you let me pray for you? I'm going to ask you to just lift your hand up if that's you. Put it up where I can see you and keep it up. Just keep it up where I can see you. All right, now I'm going to ask those who raise your hands to come down. Would you just come down right now? And we're going to, we're going to sing while you come. Just tell your feet to start to walk. If you don't want to come alone, turn to the person that's with you. And say,